going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and there's, there's a phrase in verse 4 that I want, to, I want to start with and we will come back to. When the Apostle Paul is writing to this church, he refers to uh, the return of Christ, uh, when Christ will appear in glory. But, but here's the phrase I want you to, to listen to, and then, then we're going to walk through, uh, hopefully, a better understanding of this idea. He said, when Christ who is your life. Christ, who is your life. Now that's something a whole lot deeper than saying Christ will help you in life or Christ will guide your life. Here Paul says to to the church at Colossae, to the believers at this church, Christ is your life. What does it mean for me to be able to say Christ is my life. I want to begin with a a story. uh, This week has been challenging for me in some ways. Uh, You all know that my uh, pastor, my mentor, Dr. Frankie Ramey, uh, went home to be with the Lord. And so I thought a lot about him this last week, watched his uh, service that was held at First Baptist Church Burleson online and heard a lot of incredible memories and uh, stirred up a lot. But one of the, the, the seminal times in, in my personal Christian walk, and so this is kind of testimony time. Of course, I'd gotten married when I was 19 years old. I was a student at Howard Payne University. I'd been there for a year and a half. Susan had been there one semester. That next year, so I got married in, in January of 87. So later that year in 87, Dr. Rainey invited a handful of ministerial students to retreat and it was uh, something he was specifically uh, sponsoring, and it was to help us to grow deep in our understanding of Christ. And it was at that retreat that God began to open my eyes. Up until then, I, had, I felt like I had surrendered my life to Christ. I had, you know, didn't really grow up in the church, but had gotten plugged into the church as a junior high boy, and then in high school had, uh, had kind of solidified the fact that I was going to follow Christ. I I felt a call to the, to the gospel ministry uh, when I was 16 years old, and I surrendered to the ministry, so I felt like I had already given up what I needed to give up to God, and now I'm on this journey with him. I'm, I'm at Howard Payne and, and uh, learning uh, Greek and uh, studying New Testament and, and learning uh, pastoral ministry. And when we, on this retreat, a light began to come on because I realized that I still had all kinds of plans for my life. And what God desired of me was not to help me or to just guide me or just enable me, but Christ wanted to live his life out through me. And I'll tell you, two years after that, in the summer of 1989, when we faced one of the greatest challenges of our life, when our daughter was born into this world with all kinds of birth defects, and I remember the doctor coming into the room right after the, uh, uh, the birth, and, and Susan had been in labor for over 20 hours, and uh, the pediatrician comes in the room and gives us the list of things that they already knew was wrong with Katie and that they were going to have to transport her to Cook's Children's Medical Center because uh, they didn't have the facilities there in Abilene to take care of her. Uh, they told us that, uh, of course, Susan would not be able to travel, but if they were able to bring a plane, then I would travel in the tail section of that plane, the ambulance plane, and uh, 
if uh, they were if they came to get her by helicopter then I wouldn't be able to travel with her I'd have to drive and I, I just remember those those moments those days even a couple days afterwards so that day they told us she might not live through the night uh, the next day they had to do an exploratory surgery they nicked a bowel and of course Katie was six pounds they they nicked a bowel she got an infection in her abdomen they told us she probably wouldn't live through that she did a couple days later, she had another surgery. We found out she had renal disease. That she probably wouldn't live through that. She did. And through all of that, I remember, uh, this is probably the best way to explain it. One of our really good friends was asked by other friends around Howard Payne, other people that we were going to school with, how are, they, how, how are Dennis and Susan making it? How are they standing tall? How are they, how are they continuing to walk with Christ in the midst of this? How, how, how can they handle it? And Kerry Camp was that friend, and he would tell them, he told me this later, he said, I'd tell them they can't, and they're not. Jesus is living through them. <laughs> y'all know me, and y'all know my imperfections, and you've seen my failures. And, and you understand that there are times when, when it is not Christ who is living through me, but it's my flesh that has won out. I feel like the Apostle Paul in Romans, when I say that, uh, you know, when Paul says, uh, sometimes I do what I, do, I, I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do, and it's, I'm battling against this, this body of flesh, but thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, who empowers me, who enables me. And ultimately, I've come to confess that uh, in any victory, I just simply need to point to Christ, and in any failure, I just need to point to Christ, because he's my only hope. Christ is our life. That's what I learned from Dr. Rainey. But I didn't just learn it from him in class. I saw it in his life. And I remember praying and asking the Lord, Lord, how, how, can, how can I grow up to be like Dr. Rainey? And I know I heard very clearly the Lord's answer, walk with me like he has. Now, I look back over these 35, 36 years later, and I understand that, that I'll never be Dr. Rainey. Now, Dr. Rainey had a walk with the Lord that was uh, different than what I've seen in so many others. But my desire is to continue to press forward and surrender my full life over to Christ because Christ is our only hope. He really is. Paul's already told the Colossians this in, in 127, we looked at a few weeks ago, Christ in you is your hope of glory. See, any other good thing that comes out of you that you do for Christ is of the flesh. And Scripture says anything of the flesh is worthless. It's dying. It's only what Christ does in you and through you that is lasting, that is pleasing to God. Read with me Colossians 1. I mean, I'm sorry, Colossians 3, 1 through 11. Paul writes here, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, 
not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. In Christ, there is no Greek, no Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. This is a passage that, that lends itself to go a couple different directions because you have the deep theological truths there in verse uh, 1 through 4, and then you have these, these applications of that truth, and it almost gets confusing. It's go, well, well, here you're talking about just uh, surrender to Christ who is your life, and over here you're talking about following rules, following the law. I, I want to I get beyond that because that is not what Paul's communicating in the last half of that text. When he gets to the therefore, he's... he's showing us what it's going to look like when we've surrendered to Christ. But let's, let's look at the first few verses here. The first major thing that I want you to see is Paul is calling us to entrust our lives to the risen Christ, to trust Christ daily. Just as we've already talked about, you could not save yourself. You trusted him for your eternal life. He's asking, in fact, Paul is commanding that you put your trust in Christ for the everyday life. Ultimately, the only life that, that is going to matter is the life that Christ lives out through you. It's not what you do in your own strength. He gives us a couple practical things or practical ways to do this, and he does them by way of commands or imperatives. There's actually five imperatives in this text in verses 1 through 11. Two of them appear, appear here in the first four verses, and these two imperatives are, are, are very similar in nature, but I want to distinguish them just a little bit. The first imperative is this, seek the things above. Now, there is a, a conditional sentence or conditional clause before that where he says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above. The, Paul's use of the Greek there is, is not a conditional idea. In fact, this, that phrase could just as well and probably better be translated, since you have been raised with Christ. He's preaching to Christians. He's preaching to the church. It's the exact same phrase that he used back up in verse 20, or the, or the exact same construction in verse 20 of, of chapter 2, when he said, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world. Paul's not making it iffy. Paul's not saying that this is a condition. Paul's, Paul is essentially saying, because or since you died with Christ, since you have been raised with Christ. Okay, Christian? So since you died with Christ, when you gave your heart and life over to him, you died. We talk about it in baptism as an image of your death and burial you're, you're dying to the things of this world, and then you're being raised to new life in Christ. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have died with Christ, 
to the things of this world, the elements of this world, he says in 2.20, and you have been raised with Christ. So if you have died with Christ and you have been raised with Christ, focus your attention. First, set your mind or seek the things above. I'm sorry, the first phrase there is seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The idea here is that our first desire ought to be not to pursue the things of this world, but to pursue the things of God, to pursue the things above. It sounds a lot like what Jesus said when he was teaching on anxiety in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, you know, be anxious for nothing, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put your mind, focus your attention, seek things that are above. So the, the, the difference here is instead of seeking the things of this world, making the things of this world your priority, make the things of his world, of his kingdom a priority. That's where you have to begin. Set your attention, seek, make, make it your priority to pursue the things of God, the things that are above, the things that are eternal. Uh, you can make a list very quickly. In fact, when I was at that, that retreat that Dr. Rainey had invited me to and several other young men, one of the things we were asked to do is to simply sit down and write down all of the things in your life that you value. Write each one of them down one at a time, and then write down the things of your past that you still struggle with, and then write down the things of your future, your plans, your dreams for your future. Write all of those down, seal them in an envelope, and write on there that, that you have died to all of that. I've died to the things of this world. I've died to my plans, my dreams, my desires. I've, I've given it all over to the Lord. Lord, I surrender to you. That's, I believe, what it means to take our minds off of, quit seeking the things of this world, and begin to seek the things of Christ. And so as we then make that our priority, the things of the kingdom become our priorities to the things of this world. The second thing that we do then is set our minds, focus our full attention on Christ. Set our attention focus our attention on him. It's so easy to be distracted by the things of this world, one side or the other, and sometimes good things, things of the church. Set our focus on Christ, on him, not of things of the flesh. See, Dr. Rainey, one of the, 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 the ways that he taught about living this kind of life is he taught a series of messages uh, called his ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. And he did it uh, launching that off of the idea from Isaiah 55, where God says, my, my thoughts are not your thoughts, or my, my, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And he would, one of the, the phrases I remember him saying is, God's way to life is death. For a seed to produce an abundant harvest, that seed has to go into the ground and die. God's ways are not our ways. God's way up is down. The Word of God says that if you'll humble yourself before the mighty hand of God in His time, He will exalt you. God's way out of a difficult situation, we'll pray, God's rescue us, God get us out of here, God, we don't want to suffer. 
most of the time, God's way out of a difficult situation is through. Ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They went through the flames to get out the other side. God's ways are not our ways. And for us to, to live a life fully and completely surrendered over to Christ, it requires that we die to self so that we might live to Christ. That's why Paul, when he wrote to the Galatians, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives. But what? Christ who lives in me. Christ, Paul goes on to say here, is your life. Charles Trumbull in the victorious Christian life began one of the chapters this way. He said, there's only one life that wins, and that is the life of Jesus Christ. Every man may have that life. Every man may live that life. I do not mean that every man may be Christ-like. I mean something much better than that. I do not mean that man always, I do not mean that a man may always have Christ's help. I mean something better than that. I do not mean that a man may have power from Christ. I mean something very much better than power. And I do not mean that a man shall be merely saved from his sins and kept from sinning. I mean something better than even that victory. And what he goes on to write about is that he means that you, as a Christian, have the one and only true resource of the Christian life. That is Christ himself. Jesus didn't just give us help, guidance, teaching. He gave us himself. I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age, he says. When I, when I leave, my spirit will come, and he will be with you, and he will be in you. That's why Paul can write that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Christ doesn't want to be our helper in life. He doesn't want to be our guide, our assistant. Christ desires to be our life. There's only one man who's ever lived the perfect Christian life, and it is Jesus himself. But the promise of his word is that if we will fully surrender our life to him, he will live his life out through us. His spirit will produce his fruit through us in a way that you and I can never work up in our flesh. Christ is our life. Oh, that I could come to that place in life where I could say with Paul, like he said in Philippians chapter 1, for me to live is Christ. I know I'm not there, and I know I'm not close, but it's only as we fully, completely surrender our, our will, our desire, our life over to him and to his hands that we'll have that opportunity, that we'll see Christ live his life out through us. I fully understand and believe with all of my heart that the reason that, that some people whoever that happened to be that, that saw Christ through Susan and I during those really hard times was not because of anything good from us. Nothing. It's because we were clueless and helpless and dependent upon the Spirit of the living God. And it's when we are helpless and dependent 
on the spirit of the living God that people truly will see Christ in us. I believe that's why God refused to remove Paul's thorn in the flesh when Paul prayed and asked God to remove it. And God told him, he said, no, I'm not going to do it. He said, because when you're weak, then I'm strong. It was in Paul's weakness that God shone most mighty. It's in your weakness and my weakness that God will shine when we surrender our life fully and completely over to him. Now, as he walks through the rest of this pericope, this paragraph here, you see this therefore, therefore, that therefore is going to give us some indication of what this Christ life is going to look like. Therefore, now remember, because you've died with Christ and you've been raised with Christ, therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. And, and, and that's one of the struggles of the Christian life is what I found is there, there came a point in my life where I had to just surrender and say, okay, Lord, I don't want it my way anymore. I want it your way. And, and that happened at that retreat in the fall of 1987. But it didn't end then. Because every day after that, that I found victory, it's because I got up and I took up my cross and I followed after him. The, the cross is not an instrument of a burden. The cross is an instrument of death, right? When Christ said, you have to take up your cross daily, what I believe Christ was telling his disciples, you have to die every day. You have to get up and you have to say, it's not about me. It's about him. Lord, I don't want my life. I want your life. And so every day when we die, put to death this earthly nature, and, and he gives us a list in particular of, of uh, things that deal with desires of the, of, the, of the earthly nature. The list that he gives us here particularly focuses on those impulses or desires, uh, not just a list of sin, so to speak. It, it was particular. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed. Greed is, is a desire for something somebody else has. So notice he doesn't put theft here. He doesn't put murder here. He puts the desires that, that are rooted in our flesh in this list. Because you have to put to death those desires. And so what you're saying is, Lord, I no longer desire these things. I desire you. I no longer desire what the world can give me to fulfill uh, the, these passions, I desire what you give me to fulfill these passions. I, I, I want to follow you. So Paul says you have to get up every day and put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. You have to allow your flesh to be crucified every single day. And as you get up and you, you, you lay your flesh aside and say, Lord, I don't want it my way today. I want it your way today. Lord, I want to follow you today. Then you'll find that victory over those sins, those desires that are besetting. I don't want what this world has. Now, I've, I've actually struggled through it in this way because there were times, I'm going to be very honest, in, throughout life where I didn't want God's way. Have you ever been there? You're just selfish, and you just don't want to do it His way. You want to do it your way. But something inside of me wanted to want it. My, my, if I was honest with my, my flesh, wanted to do it my way. But my spirit says, Lord, change my desires. Change my want to. Make me want to again. 
I used to want you. I used to desire you. I used to pursue you, and I'm struggling. Lord, change my innermost desire. Change my want to, because I want to want to. And when we humble ourselves and surrender to God on that level, the Scripture says He will give us the desires of our heart. He'll change the desires of our hearts. He'll transform the desires of our hearts. So He, he commands us here, and this is, this is the, the third in that list of uh, imperatives. Put to death what belongs to the earthly nature. And then He deals with the issue of the tongue. And He says, now put away these things. It's interesting to me that the, instead of dealing with what we would often list as maybe our list of highest sins, the acts of murder, the acts of theft, the acts of homosexuality, all of these acts, Paul addresses two things that are at our very core. He addresses our desires and he addresses our words. He says, put away all the following anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language that comes from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've put off the old self. Put away sinful speech. Watch how you, how you speak to one another. Be careful of what comes out of your mouth. So when... If we're going to walk away from our old ways, okay, if we're going to turn toward Christ, what's going to be left behind is we're going to set aside the, ma the, the, the anger, the malice, the slander, the language, and we're going to set aside the, the, the things that desire for this world, our desires and our lusts for this world, and our desires and our speech are going to be directed through Christ and empowered by Christ. And then in the, the third big point here is I believe Paul is calling us to choose a life of integrity. Be who you are in Christ. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Paul, Paul's there and just let that verse sink in for a minute. Don't, don't lie to one another. Don't deceive one another since you've put off the old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. God, through working through your mind, through who you are as a person, through your knowledge in particular, He is renewing you and transforming you into the image of the Creator. It is through your mind that God is doing a work to transform you and I, to become the people that he wants us to be. See, he has already enlivened us in the innermost part of our being. You once were dead in your spirit, and you have died to the things of this world, and you've been risen in Christ. And so your spirit has been made alive in Christ. But every one of us will hear, will have to confess that what we do does not always line up with who we are. I've jokingly talked about how Paul calls the Corinthians saints, holy ones, those set apart for the, for the work of God. He calls them that not because of their goodness. He calls them that because God has done a work in them. God has done a work in us, and he has enlivened us. We've been, if you've been born again, you've been made alive in the innermost part of your being. But on the outermost part of your being, sometimes you still act in sin. 
Well, where's the disconnect? Where's that transformation? What is it that's got to take place? There's another part of our being that you see throughout Scripture that I, you see, especially in the Greek, in the word psyche. It's our mind. It's that, that part of us that rests between our spirit that's at the innermost part and our actions on the outermost part, and that is our mind, our emotions, our, our, our psyche, our behavior, uh, uh, how we think, our personalities. See, when, when I was saved, when I was born again, I was made alive in my spirit, but I was already alive. I was already walking around breathing. I already had a personality. I already had emotions, right? And so that, that mind, that, that part of our being is being transformed by the work of God. You see it in Romans chapter 12 when he says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your minds. And that's what Paul is alluding to here when he says that you, you have set aside the old self with its practices, you put on the new self, you are being renewed in knowledge. You're being renewed through the work of your mind. God is at work in you to shape you and to mold you so that who you are, how you live out your life, matches who you are in the innermost part of your being. And one of the things that's most important here is for us to take that step of faith and say, you know, even though I'm not perfect, even though I'm not acting in perfection, I belong to Christ. I am His. My life has been fully surrendered over to Him, and He is doing a work in me. I'm not going to be perfect tomorrow. I won't be perfect as long as I'm on this earth. But He's doing a work to transform me by the renewing of my mind. He's changing me. Allow Christ to be seen in you. You are being renewed in knowledge according to what? The image of your Creator. How are people truly, how is the world going to see Christ in you? It's when your life is fully and completely surrendered over to Him so that even the good stuff that comes out of your life is not the work of the flesh, but the good stuff that comes out of your life is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the only hope that a lost, dying world, or even struggling Christians, Christ is the only hope. Christ living his life out through you is the only hope that people will see his glory in you. One of the illustrations that I remember from back in the day, and I shared this with you all at times, is, is the illustration of a, of a prism. Because one of the things that, that, that Christ desires to do is to display through you his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of these personal characteristics of God. It's, how, it's, it's, it's part of what we learned about God through Christ. See, in, in the a lot of nature, you can see God. You can see his power. You can see his majesty. You can see the glory of God in the sun, in the heat that it produces. You can see the glory of God in the stars. You can see his glory expressed in the expanses of the heavens. You can see his glory expressed in, in, in nature and, and in the beauty and the design of nature and how nature works. You can see the glory of God and the power of God expressed in how the human body works. You can see his majesty in so many ways. 
Y'all know that's one of the reasons I love the mountains. It's in the mountains that I see the majesty of God. But the reality is that to see the personal characteristics of God, we need a person. And that person is Jesus. Okay? And Jesus isn't walking around on the earth right now. So how are your lost neighbors and your lost friends going to see the majesty and the glory of God? How are they going to see the personal characteristics of God? They can step outside and see his majesty. They can see his creative power. But how are they going to see his love, his joy, his patience? God has called us to be like a prism. And when you hold that prism up to the sunlight, and the sun shines through that prism, an array of colors is displayed up, up against the wall that it hits or the floor. All of a sudden, you see all of the colors that are, that are in the light. You see blue and green and orange and yellow, and you see a full spectrum of colors. God desires to use you to live his life through you, to shine his light through you so that the world can see his love, his patience. His kindness, His gentleness. But some of our lives are so filthy and dirty that the light doesn't shine very well through the prism of our soul. But when we surrender life to Christ, one of the most beautiful characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit is the last one, self-control. See, if I'll just simply surrender to him, he will give me the discipline I need. He'll give me the, the, the control of self. But here's the struggle. This is one of the hardest, I believe, most difficult things for any human, in particular us Christians to do, and that is fully and completely surrender to Christ. We'll sing it. One of the favorite invitation hymns from my generation growing up was, I surrender all. I surrender all. Lord, you're worth it. I surrender all. But what most of us truly mean is, I surrender some. There's some things we still want to hold back. There's some dreams of ours that we don't want to give up to Christ. There's some sin sometimes that we want to hold tightly to. If we're ever going to have a hope of showing this lost world the image of Jesus... It's going to be when Christ is living his life out through us. When I surrender all. So Paul challenges us in the end here to identify fully and completely with Christ. I had a lady whom I loved dearly, and her heart was right. Okay. So I'm not going to be picking on her. Some of you have Few, few of you will know who she is, maybe some of you online. When she first started attending May First Baptist Church, she came up to me and introduced me by giving me her name, and she said, and I'm a Republican. 
Now, she had worked on the Republican National Committee. She was friends with Laura Bush in Texas back before her husband was the governor. And, and so, you know, she rightfully would, was proud of that fact. Now, she was a dear, godly, wonderful Christian. But what I want you to, what I want you to see here is Christ is calling us to fully and completely identify with him and avoid fleshly categories. In Christ, there is no Greek or Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. I believe Paul is saying a whole lot more here than uh, uh, a rant against racism or, or against religious uh, favoritism. I think he's saying a whole lot more because I think what he's telling us here is we need to put on Paul's identifying ourselves with anything, any categories of this world. And we need to identify ourselves fully and completely with the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's, that's clear, I believe, in how he ends because Christ is all and in all. Let me suggest this. If Christ is all, if Christ, as Scripture says, is, is in him is every spiritual blessing necessary for life and godliness is found in Christ. First Peter 1.3 says that. If Christ is my life, because I have died to the things of this world and I've been risen in Christ, if Christ is all and Christ is in all, Earlier in Colossians, Paul says, Christ created all, and Christ sustains all. If Christ is in all, he sustains all, he empowers all, he is all, then isn't Christ enough for me? Is Christ enough for you? Far too often we say we want Jesus and when Jesus himself is enough. In him, the fullness of the Godhead dwells. In him, the power that sustains creation resides. He is enough in me. He's enough. He's all I need. He's all I ever will need. He's enough. And I pray that every single one of us can come to that place where we say, Christ, who is my life, is enough. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.